May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning. And may the words from my mouth be just what we need to hear this morning. Uh, before we begin, I want to clear a couple of things up. I had some questions asked of me this past week uh, and again this morning. And I want to answer those questions. The first question was, how come you stand up high and way up above everybody else? Are you more important than them, or why, why do you stand up there? Well, the answer to that is, no, I'm not any more important than anybody in this place. I stand up here so that I can get a good view of everybody and so I can catch people like Jack when he falls asleep. <laughs> and I can tell him how many times I caught him nodding off that Sunday morning. No, it isn't because I'm any more important or that there's anything special about this part of the church or anything special about me. I, it's, it's just a better vantage point. Everybody can see me and I can see you all. No other reason at all, okay? The other thing that I was asked is why am I wearing this fancy robe and this, uh, this stole? Why do I wear those sometimes? Now you probably noticed I don't wear them very often at all in the summer months because this thing is hot. It's really hot. And it's extra warm up here because I am up a little bit higher. So I wear this on special occasions. I don't care if it's 100 degrees out. And today is a very special occasion. There are certain things that we do in this church that I love more than anything else. And they always involve kids or young people. I love baptisms and I love confirmations. And that's why secretly, way down deep inside, I'm kind of happy we're going to have to do it twice this year because I enjoy it. I enjoy anything that involves young people. And it's a special day. And so I dress up as much as I can and as much as I can is this robe and, and this stole, okay? No other reason. I'm not any closer to God than anybody else. Okay? Questions answered. A young woman named Donna who got good grades in high school and in fact was right at the top of her class all through high school, was in her first year of college and she went uh, off to college and really kind of sloughed off on one of her courses and knew that she was going to not going to get a good grade. And so she wanted to prepare her parents for this because she knew they were gonna be upset. And so she told her mom, uh, I'll send you my grades as soon as I get them and if you see an unfamiliar letter it's just my first initial, Donna, so do you. Well, she got her grades. She mailed them to her mom. Her mom called her. She said, hi, Mom. Mom said, hello, Frida. <laughs> School. School is part of life. For the Christian, there are two kinds of education. There's school, there's education at school, education on the job. You're always learning something different at work and how, to do, how you might do something different. Or you might be put on a different machine if you work in a factory or something. And so you have to be educated on how to do that and do it right. And then there is religious education. Education about our faith. We celebrate Christmas, but 
we really don't know much about the next few years after Christmas. We can only imagine what Jesus' life must have been like as a little boy because we really don't see that part of his life recorded in the scriptures. We imagine that he lived in a home that was filled with love and that Mary and Joseph uh, loved him dearly and that they took, took good care of him and all that. Um, we imagine that he probably worked with his dad in the carpenter shop and learned the carpenter trade. And uh, we find out later that that wasn't really obviously his, going to be his career, but we imagine him doing those things. Mary and Joseph decide to travel to Jerusalem when Jesus is 12 years old. They were only a short distance from Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and they weren't going to Jerusalem to visit Bethlehem or to go to Six Flags over Judea or anything like that. They weren't going to see the sights in Jerusalem. Jesus was now 12 years old, and what happens when you're 12 years old, according to Jewish custom, is when you're a boy, you become a man at 12. Well, the first act of manhood Jesus took, I guess we could say, that we see in the scriptures, was that he separated himself from his parents and he went to the temple to learn from the scribes. And today, young Jewish boys at about that age do something similar. They have their bar mitzvah, which is a really big day for them. Jerusalem was a big, noisy, kind of dirty city. The town garbage dump was right outside the city gates, I've read. Um, probably trash fires burning nearby. So it wasn't a real, be real beautiful place to walk into. It wasn't a real pleasant place when you first began your visit. But still, it was exciting in those days to take a journey, to go somewhere else. And Nazareth was, where he came from, was kind of a small, sort of a backward town. It was on uh, the other side of the tracks, so to speak. It says in the scripture, when they're talking about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was a popular put down in those days. But Joseph and Mary and Jesus went through and along the way they saw and Jesus was educated by looking around and seeing the lifestyles of some of the people there, some of the rituals that they performed and statues of Greek gods. He learned, he learned things about the people as he traveled through. And people from all over the world crowded Jerusalem at this time of the year. So Jesus learned different languages and different customs. And because Jerusalem was then, uh, like it is now, a hotbed of political trouble, there was probably some, some of that going on, maybe some rioting, possibly, probably tight security. And then there was the temple, the center of all Judaism. It was a strange and exciting time for Jesus. He was probably really excited to be there and to be able to go to the temple. It was a very proud time for Mary and for Joseph. And then going home, 
Mary and Joseph thought that they had lost him. And so they went back to Jerusalem and they found him. And what was he doing? He was in the temple, he was listening, and he was asking questions. Now all of us have known kids who are advanced for their age. Can you imagine trying to answer 12-year-old Jesus' questions? I bet they were doozies. It would be like a sixth grade math teacher trying to have Einstein as a student. Wonder what kind of questions he'd get. Would be intimidating. Imagine being a rabbi and having Jesus in your class. That would be scary. But you know, one thing that it says to us is our first lesson is that any time you have contact with a young person, you do not know what the possibilities might be. Our two confirmands this morning, we don't know what the possibilities are. We know that they're both very talented young people and that they're very capable of going a long, long way in life. But we don't know who might be sitting here in this sanctuary this morning. There was a pastor who looked over his Thursday afternoon confirmation class. He had set up 15 chairs because he knew there were 15 kids in the church that were the right age, and this was the first class. But only one showed up. She was brought by her mom who left work for a little while to go get her and bring her to class and get her there on time. Her mother told the pastor this, I have not had the benefit of, a church, of church, going to church when I was growing up. I'm determined that things are going to be better for my daughter than they went for me. She was determined. She said that she would move any mountain to make sure that her daughter participated at church and learned what she needed to know and that her faith would exist and would be strong. Well, at first, the pastor thought, maybe I should just cancel. There's only one student. And then he changed his mind and he said, let's go ahead. And so he took her through the, congregation pro or the confirmation process and went ahead. Ten years later, he had left the church and was somewhere else, came back for a visit. And on that visit, a lovely young lady walked up to him and she introduced herself and she told him that she was a teacher now and that she was specializing in working with children with disabilities. She was also an officer in the church. She was a leader of the young adults group. And he remembered who she was. It was that little girl in that confirmation class of one. Here was the result of mom's determination that her daughter would receive a blessing from the church. If we were to list our priorities as a church, this one, I think, would have to be at the top of the list to teach our young people about the faith. It's got to be right at the top. It's our responsibility to our young people. They need a strong faith that they can hold on to in this fast-changing, confusing world that we live in. Lesson number two. 
If Mary and Joseph thought that their son needed religious education, maybe us parents, myself included, should give it some serious thought too. Mary and Joseph weren't ordinary parents. The story of Christmas tells us all about that. Obviously, they gave Jesus a good grounding in his religious education and in the faith, but they still brought him to the temple to learn from the scribes, from the teachers. It was important to them. Now, I have to be honest with you, I try very hard at times not to be judgmental. But when I see parents who invest lots and lots of time making sure that their kids get to soccer games and Little League, uh, whatever else, whatever other outside activities there might be, and they make it a priority and they make it important, and that's okay. I'm all right with that. But then they take the, their kids' religious education so very casually, like it's not as important as those other things. It grieves me to see that. It saddens me. I've been around long enough to know that long after soccer, cheerleading, and all that stuff is gone, those young people are going to need their faith. Our confirm man's parents have recognized that. And we've seen these two faces in this building most weeks. They understand the importance of their children's Christian education. This country spends tons and tons of money on education and on the military system. And yet, according to one report, every year, Thousands of people entering the service cannot read beyond an eighth grade level, some even below that. There was a situation not too long ago where one illiterate sailor was working on some sophisticated equipment, looking at pictures because he couldn't read, and trying to do his job. And he put the part, one of the parts in backwards and did a quarter of a million dollars damage to a piece of equipment on the ship. His superior was disappointed in him. He was discharged. And his superior talked about the broken dreams of this young man because he had talked with him. And he's, he, the young man was frustrated. His parents were frustrated because he was so limited because he didn't have that education that he needed in order to perform these fairly simple things. In the same way, it's really hard. It's hard for us who are educated to make sense out of life sometimes. How can we ever expect someone who doesn't have any kind of a grounding to begin to make sense? We can't be allowing our children to be spiritually illiterate. I'm happy to say these families haven't done that. What is it? that helps young people to be sensitive toward other people. Maybe it's remembering something that they heard in Sunday school a long time ago about how Jesus took care of a lost or lowly or poor or sick or crippled person. How will they handle life when they're going through one of life's terrible storms? 
Maybe they'll remember deep down in their subconscious that there was that story about how Jesus calmed that storm and said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. What about those cold, lonely nights when they feel all alone like nobody cares? They'll remember. They'll remember that story about how God said that his eye is on the sparrow. The lilies of the field. He watches over all his creation. And if he takes care of those little birds and keeps them safe, and how much more is he going to take care of and how much more concern is he about me? And when one of their dreams in their life is destroyed, how will they get through it? Maybe they'll hear a voice from inside that'll say, I remember that Bible passage that said, neither death nor life nor principalities nor things present nor things to come shall separate me from nothing in creation shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If we haven't created an environment and we haven't helped fill their young minds with these things, these important truths, where are they going to turn? It's important. Listen to what someone has written. It's called From the Heart of a Child. There's a lot of good advice, especially for those of us who have young children. My hands are small. Please don't expect perfection when I make my bed, when I draw a picture, or when I throw a ball. My legs are short. Please slow down so I can keep up with you. My eyes have not seen the world as yours have. Please let me explore safely. Don't restrict me unnecessarily. Housework will always be there. I'm only little for a little while. Why don't we know that? Please take time to explain things to me about this wonderful world and do it willingly. My feelings are tender. Please be sensitive to my needs. Don't nag me all day long. You wouldn't want to be nagged for your inquisitiveness, for your questions. Treat me like you'd like to be treated. I am a special gift from God. Please treasure me as God intended you to do, holding me accountable for my actions, giving me guidelines to live by, and disciplining me in a loving manner. I need your encouragement to grow. Please go easy on the criticism. Remember, you can criticize the things I do without criticizing me. Please give me the freedom to make decisions concerning myself. Permit me to fail so that I can learn from my mistakes. Then someday I'll be prepared to make the kind of decisions that life requires of me. Please don't do things over for me. Sometimes that makes me feel that my efforts don't quite measure up to your expectations. I know it's hard, but please don't try to compare me to my brothers or sisters. Please don't be afraid to leave for a weekend together. Kids need vacations from parents, just like parents need vacations from kids. Our kids told us that. There was a day when we told them, you know what? They said, why are you leaving? Because we need a break. And they said, you know what? We need a break from you too. Besides taking a little break from each other is a great way to show the kids that your marriage is important to you, that you want to spend time just the two of you. Please take me to Sunday school. 
take me to church, set a good example for me to follow. I enjoy learning about God. I believe most children do enjoy learning about God. And I believe that Jesus, there's some question about what he knew, what he didn't know, but he enjoyed going to the temple. And that says something about, and Jesus and, and Joseph and Mary were happy to take him. That says something about our responsibility to train our young people. It also says something about our responsibility for our children's religious instruction ought to take place in the home too. But it also says something important to the young people. Confirmands, it says that if you, that you face the same decision that Jesus made when he was young, when he grew up, Jesus had to decide whether he was going to go about his father's business or whether he was going to go about his capital F father's business. And he made that choice. Notice his answer to his mom and dad when they went back to the temple. He said, did you not know I must be in my father's house? His father, of course, was God. You're not too young to make a decision about serving God. You're not too young to make a decision to love the church and to try to learn as much about the church and about things of God as possible. And you're also not too young to seek God's will for your life. And I encourage you to do those things. It's been my honor and my privilege to take you through confirmation. I enjoyed every time we had together. There was a man who was a college president and he was speaking to a class of freshmen and I'll close with this story. He recalled when he was 14 years old and he was on a camping trip to Carter County Caves in Kentucky. And he and some of his friends wandered way back into the darkest caves and they were crawling along on a ledge and they saw by the light of their lanterns the beautiful stalactites and stalagmites and all the beauty that was to be found way deep in that cave. And then as they rounded a corner, they saw a wall covered with people's carvings, carvings of people who had come to visit, had been in that cave before. And the college professor was delighted because he saw his father's name carved in that wall. And he tells young people the story because he says that college will give them a light and it'll put a lantern in their hand. And I encourage everyone to go to college, at least, at least a year, college or trade school. But do that. Have that lantern put in your hand. But, he says, their journey in the sometimes dark cave of life would never be complete unless at some point they would make a turn and discover the Father's name. The Father he's talking about is God. I hope that you have discovered your Heavenly Father's name written somewhere in your life. I'm sure you have. Young people, 
all of you, but I'm speaking especially to McKenna and Noah this morning. This church cares about you. We are committed to you. We will make promises this morning that we will keep. We want you to know that we are committed to you. Your parents are committed to you. They will be there for you. They will help you in the Christian life and in life in general. We want you, all of us wish for you, to have the same experience that Jesus had. Listen to how the story closes, this story from Jesus' life, when we talk about him being in the temple and learning and asking questions. It says, and this is what I wish for you, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's our wish for you, McKenna. That's our wish for you, Noah. Amen.